Welcome to episode 345 of the Microsoft Cloud IT Pro Podcast, recorded live on August 1st, 2023. This is a show about Microsoft 365 and Azure from the perspective of IT pros and end users, where we discuss a topic or recent news and how it relates to you. We're back this week with some more updates from Inspire as we discuss Microsoft 365 Backup and Microsoft 365 Archive. Hopefully, both services coming to a Microsoft Microsoft 365 tenant near you later this year. We also spend a little more time discussing Microsoft 365 Copilot licensing now that we've had a little more time to noodle on it. Everything's recording and we're ready to go and nobody's here to celebrate with us. You're recording in OBS and your Procaster? And my Procaster. Okay. But my stream Whatever this is. My stream back deck buttons are broken. I think my add-in crashed. My MIDI <laughs> stuff is not showing up on my stream deck today. Uh, that's all right. I broke Home Assistant earlier today. That was interesting. Did you update it or did you just randomly decide to break it? No, I updated it. I decided to do some new stuff with some helpers and some groups and things like that. And, you know, YAML's hard and it doesn't always validate the YAML the right <laughs> way. And then tries to load plugins that don't exist and you haven't backed up your YAML configuration and blah, blah, blah. You know, like you got to have backups so that you can restore from your backups to make life easier. I have a video here that I have not gone unwatched, but it is all about... It's share your home assistant configs on GitHub automatically, but if you set it up with like a private repo, essentially you can back up your home assistant stuff to GitHub automatically. Maybe you should go do that. Maybe. It's got to be like minimal effort though. <laughs> At this point, it's easier for me just to like log into the NAS or SSH it and, and play around with uh, just, you know, VI or something like that and try and bang my head. How do you save a file again? Oh yeah, escape, bang, Q. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> something like that. Uh, it's a thing, I tell you. Anywho. Anywho, I tried to lead you into it. Backups, Ben. Backups. It's important backups. to have backups so that you can it's restore from backups. backups. So you know what I do today? I completely missed that. That's what happens when we record on a Tuesday. That's the first of the month. And I've got invoicing and end of the month stuff and beginning of the month stuff and all that in my mind. But backups is indeed a thing. And up until now, if you wanted to back up, well, not up until now, up until later this year, if you wanted to back up Microsoft 365, it was very much a third-party effort, product, what have you. And now, as of Inspire, welcome to Microsoft Inspire 2023, introducing Microsoft 365 Backup and Microsoft 365 Archive. Scott, we have some new options here for not only backing up data in Microsoft 365, but you know that expensive SharePoint storage we talk so frequently about when <laughs> people do things like try to migrate file shares into SharePoint and try to pull all of their data because data retention just isn't necessarily a thing. Yeah. Now we are going to eventually... Hopefully, because there's not really pricing on this, but have a new Microsoft 365 backup service providing recovery of OneDrive, SharePoint, and Exchange at unprecedented speeds. 
for large volumes of data with a restore service level agreement while keeping it all within Microsoft 365. So backup SharePoint sites, OneDrive accounts, exchange mailboxes, restore, said things, search and filter. Scott, do you know why they can achieve unprecedented speeds? Because they don't have to rely on the API that all the third parties do. Yes and no. I I don't know. I mean, they may. I don't know what they're doing, but... (laughs) So if you go back and you watch the Inspire session for this one, uh, they do call out that backup partners have access to the same set of APIs, but typically what happens when you're using a Microsoft 365 or O365 backup provider is they are backing up your contents someplace else. Like yep. it could be in Azure, it could be in AWS, could be in a data center someplace, but it's going but it's out like to someone else's premises. This- <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, which could give you warm fuzzies, right? There's the whole like rule of three with backups, you know, like right. you know, I should have one here, I should have one over there, and I should have one offsite. And yep. that generally like works out okay. So if if I was a backup vendor, I don't know that I'm like sitting here and shaking my boots and going like, "Ooh, I have no value that I can offer to customers," because there's tons of value in just saying like, "I've egressed your data out of Microsoft data centers." Or I've egressed it out of that tenant so that it potentially does exist in another place. Elsewhere. And, and there could be value there for some segment of customers. But for those who are like all in the ecosystem, you know, this is something I think customers have been asking for for a long time. Like it's been a space that's been traditionally filled by partners and ISVs. And now Microsoft is kind of dipping their toe in the water and saying, like, hey, let us have a go at this. And, and I think it's good to. To see kind of cross categorical services in here. So things like SharePoint sites, your OneDrive for Business accounts, which are SharePoint sites. So good job, Microsoft. Yep. Like you keep calling it different things, <laughs> but they're the same thing. And then exchange mailboxes and kind of having one stop shopping to get out all of that is good. The other good thing that comes along with this is a restoration time SLA. So there's going to be a hard SLA that you'll be able to measure Microsoft against when it comes to restoration times for these things, which is something that can be a little bit iffy with some of the third-party backup stuff. Like, you just don't know, like, are they going to be throttled by a given API surface, something like that? And, you know, it it is what it is, uh, but it can be detrimental. So I, I think in this case, like, if there was anything that was, like, secret sauce, it's like, Hey, Microsoft already had your store. Yeah, Microsoft already had your primary data. They can kind of choose the best place to co-locate your backup data and also the best medium to store that backup data on to meet those restoration SLAs that they have in place. And then they can just offer that to you as a service. Like you said, (laughs) no pricing yet to be announced. So we'll see where that one goes. I really wonder over time, like just how much more money Microsoft can kind of squeeze out of existing customers since it seems like growth has plateaued a little bit in the surfaces. Like they they grow, but they're not growing by leaps and bounds. It's more incremental compared to what it used to be. Right. Yeah. I'm curious to see pricing. I use a third party right now to back up. So I back up Teams, SharePoint. And that's the one thing that's not mentioned in here, interestingly, is Teams 
but they are backing up exchange and a lot of conversations are there. So teams may be kind of sort of in here a little bit ish, but my third party, I'm 99% sure that mine goes out to AWS for a backup. Going back to your scenario of it's not necessarily in a Microsoft data center, it's out in AWS, but it is slower. And to your point, if they had to restore and now I'm pulling out of AWS, I don't know what kind of speeds they have coming out of AWS, how quick it is to write back in, that type of stuff. To your point, it does say in here too that these partners can start leveraging it. Sounds like this is going to be an update to the backup APIs, some changes to the backup APIs to achieve these speeds kind of across the board. Because it does say by leveraging these APIs, partner apps can deliver the same unprecedented backup and restore speeds. Again, it does kind of depend on, to your point, where is it coming out of? Do they back it up to Colo that they own? Do they back it up to AWS? Do they back it up to GCP? And what is that speed that you can achieve going in and out of something like that versus in and out of a Microsoft data center? Yeah, interesting times ahead. I think it'll be good to see how pricing falls out on this one. One other thing that they did offer here, and it it was kind of, it was weird the way they were announced because they they kind of were both together in the same keynote and blog post. They also announced the Microsoft 365 archive service. Yeah, this one I'm actually more excited about than backup. Yeah, like like this is good. This is effectively in place cold or cool cool to coldish data storage for you. So as you have data that's becoming inactive, just like you might take an object in like a blob storage account and move it from hot to cool to cold to archive like as it extends its life and as you access it less frequently and you realize kind of the niceties that come along with the cost savings of saying hey this is infrequently accessed so let me move it to a cooler tier of storage kind of thing. You can do the same thing over in Microsoft 365 now, or soon. <laughs> anyway, soon co- coming to a tenant near you in the second half of 2024, maybe depending yes. on depending well, on the functionality. And, <laughs> right, I was going to say sort of, and this one I think I'm more excited about because again, third parties. There's a lot of there's backup options out there. Backup restore archive. We've talked about this before. Like SharePoint storage is not inexpensive, especially when you compare it to something like. Azure Blob storage, and even more so if you get into the cool and the cold storage, it's expensive. And I've run into this with clients of my own where, I mean, we're getting on what, we're approaching 12-ish, 13 years now, where Office 365 and SharePoint Online have been a thing. It's been a hot minute. Now, yeah. I think there are some archive solutions out there, but really for the everyday customer, I think especially SMBs, I have some customers that are 25, 30 employees they don't have a ton of SharePoint storage because they only have 30 licenses plus the one terabyte. I absolutely have customers buying additional SharePoint storage because they have data from 2011, 2012, 2013 that they want to keep around. They don't want to mess with, do we just go download this out of SharePoint? We don't really want to go pay for a third party. This will be really nice where you can start hopefully along with like retention labels and purview and some of that in theory. This is kind of me crossing my fingers and hoping that you can like set off tiered type of archiving. What's content hits a certain age, 
you have like group reviews now around deleting groups and that type of stuff that some of this archiving will come into play there and you'll be able to more cheaply store older content in a place that it could be restored to SharePoint. And some of the other things they say is you still maintain like the admin level search when you start doing e-discovery cases. It'll still remain some of the sensitivity labels, DLP, access control settings. You keep all of that other functionality while still being able to archive these off. Like you said, site-level archiving, it sounds like is going to be maybe close to when backup comes out. They say the initial release of Microsoft 365 Archive provides site-level archiving. File-level archiving will be available next year. And then in another part, they say file-level archiving will be in the second half of 2024. So 12-ish months. The backup public preview will be Q4 of 2023. So hopefully in the next three or four months here. So yeah, it's uh, the wording kind of throws me off in this one, and it's probably because we just launched a new tier of storage called Cold. (laughs) And for us, like in Blob Storage, Cold is an online tier, and this really sounds like an archive, like an almost like an offline-ish kind of thing, like inaccessible to you and and your users. And day-to-day kinds of things, but once the indices are populated for things like DLP, content search, all that, like great. They maintain those indices so you can continue to search, find that data, potentially rehydrate it if needed. This will be another one of those. Like it'll be interesting to see what reactivation looks like. Like, is it truly like an offline storage medium? Is it something that takes like hours to restore a site? Like, is it quicker to backup your site and then delete it and then just retain the backup and restore the backup with that unprecedented speed? Or, and (laughs) you'll miss out on the indices and things like that for content search, but like maybe that's okay. Or is it easier for you to do archive and send things down that path? So I don't know. And another interesting thing about these, I, I don't know if you kind of caught this one. So both of these newer service announcements, so Microsoft 365 Backup and Microsoft 365 Archive, they're under the Syntax branding and under Syntax (laughs) management, which I thought was kind of interesting. Like you go and you look for these things and the way you actually land is like, you know, if you're on like the Microsoft adoption site, like adoption.microsoft.com, you're on Microsoft adoption.microsoft.com forward slash syntax. And it's totally part of that hierarchy, which is different. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how it ended up under the syntax banner, but you know. I don't know either. I have some theories. Because it's also interesting that in the announcement itself, like it talked, it doesn't mention syntax in the title. It's all Microsoft 365 backup archive. But then it says like Microsoft syntax announced last fall, AI stuff. Recent syntax innovations are OCR content assembly and plugins for Copilot. Volume grows. And then it talks about backup and archive, but I don't think it mentions syntax anywhere else, except when you start getting under the partner stuff. Now, here's my theory around this, is I also believe 
and I'm looking for it to pull it up now. Licensing for Syntex. That's what I was looking for. Microsoft Syntex is an add-on. Microsoft per-user licenses as of July 1, 2023 are no longer available for purchase, but you will need to set up pay-as-you-go billing. This is the only service I know of that's pay-as-you-go, other than there's some Dataverse stuff now in the Power Platform. But I think Microsoft 365, Syntex is the only pay-as-you-go licensing infrastructure thing. And I'm wondering if that's part of it. If by rolling it under Syntex, maybe they're going to take advantage of pay-as-you-go and you're going to get pay-as-you-go pricing for archiving and backup versus buying like SharePoint Online. It's not really pay-as-you-go, right? You buy it per gigabyte per month. If they can structure this where based on how much content you pay based on backup content and archived content, maybe there's just some billing, I don't don't know if you call it billing infrastructure or billing constructs that are there for syntax. And by rolling it under there, they can take advantage of that. Your guess is as good as mine. That's just some wild speculations (laughs) based on that recent change and. I kind of missed that, that as of July 20, July 1, 2023, that they pulled the per-user licenses from Syntex, that it is only pay-as-you-go now for Syntex. Yeah, I think the other thing too is, you know, there's a segment of customers who probably looks at things like this and says like, ooh, great, you've got APIs and you can build this service yourself and you're saying you're working with all these partners like what can i just go sling myself like maybe i need like my ideal minimal backup product is different than what's offered by microsoft and it looks like these apis like cuz they are locked behind syntax and you've got different ones for backup and archive they're going to be kind of either microsoft first or partner driven so they do go into detail like it inspires a partner event, first of all, so you got to like, keep that in mind too. But they yep. go into, hey, here's how to join our content AI program. Microsoft you know, tends to see a, a lot of value derived from partners, and partners can certainly grow healthy businesses on top of Microsoft services. Like That's all kind of proven out. So you know, like there, there's a path potentially to go down and join something like the content AI partner program. The reality is like all the regular folks who you think of, at least in the backup and archive space. So Veeam, Commvault, Avpoint, Barracuda, Rubrik, you know, they're already all in there and ready to go. Yep. Like I would anticipate, I don't know if they'll have it for public preview, but as soon as this hits general availability, sounds like a lot of these partners will have something in place or be really close to having something in place. And to your point, it's not like small partners that are doing this. These are well-known partners in that backup space. We'll see where it all lands out, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I wonder how Microsoft can be competitive. Like most of the Back to the pricing thing, like most of the partners are going to be a couple bucks per user per month, depending on workloads and what's backed up. And I don't imagine many of them changing their pricing meaningfully unless they like really need to, because the API pricing is atrocious in some way, shape, or form. Like everybody see Reddit and the crap they pulled this year. <laughs> you know, like like that's a possibility. Yeah. But we'll see where it all fans out. More to come in 2024. Do you think Microsoft will be able to take advantage? Like going back to pricing of this, that 
a lot of partners do per user that Microsoft will do back to the page you go like per gigabyte of backup and they don't they won't care how many users are there. I don't know. I don't know. Seems easier to be in the per user per month model and just let it ride that way because that's the way the rest of your tenant is purchased and set up at this point with you know just a couple of side services like additional SharePoint space, things like that. Per user per month is something easy. Customers grok it, they get it. If the value's there, the value's there and you'll pay for it. Like Copilot. <laughs> like Copilot, yes. Do you feel overwhelmed by trying to manage your Office 365 environment? Are you facing unexpected issues that disrupt your company's productivity? Intelligent is here to help. Much like you take your car to the mechanic that has specialized knowledge on how to best keep your car running, Intelligent helps you with your Microsoft Cloud environment because that's their expertise. Intelligent keeps up with the latest updates in the Microsoft Cloud to help keep your business running smoothly and ahead of the curve. Whether you are a small organization with just a few users up to an organization of several thousand employees, they want to partner with you to implement and administer your Microsoft Cloud technology. Visit them at intelligent.com slash podcast. That's I-N-T-E-L-L-I-G-I-N-K dot com slash podcast for more information or to schedule a 30-minute call to get started with them today. Remember, Intelligent focuses on the Microsoft Cloud so you can focus on your business. I did it, Scott. I brought it up. Uh, well, yeah, I don't understand Copilot pricing. Sorry. I just okay. I, I don't I don't get it. Doesn't make any sense to me. Okay. In that case, moving on. I actually don't either. I don't know. Do you really want to talk about that or do you want to talk about other news? We can mention like you and I have been going back and about back and forth about it briefly. So like for me, there's a ton of value in some of these co-pilots. Like I use GitHub Copilot every single day, just about. So for the per user per month price of GitHub Copilot, you know, if you consider my salary and other things, like it's a no-brainer to spend a couple hundred bucks a year and get somebody a Copilot to go ahead and help them do their job, like if that's the way it comes in. If it's an employee who's paid a hundred thousand per year and they can get a 20% increase in productivity from a copilot, like would it be worth spending 20k a year, you know, per user to get that benefit? Like if you could consistently get it, I bet there would be some organizations that would pay for it. But, you know, it's still only like 10, 20% of, you know, that person's total cost to you, whatever it happens to be. The thing that I keep coming back to with the Office 365 and M365 Copilot pricing is the additive cost on top of an E5. So if you're just looking at retail pricing in the in the US, so an Office 365 E5 is what 37 38 dollars. Like it's not too uh, bad. It's reasonable. Office, yes, yeah. Office, yep. not Microsoft. Yeah, yes. great. So so it comes with everything you need, right? It comes with SharePoint and OneDrive for Business and you get Exchange and Outlook and all the desktop apps and and all the things. You throw Copilot on top of that, like, sorry, but $30 per user per month, that's 79% of the cost of my base license. Like, is it worth 79% of my cost to go and license a Copilot for somebody? Like, 
I don't know, like that feels like a lot to me. And then even if you go up to the Microsoft 365 E5, which is 57 per user per month, you are still greater than 50%. You're like 52, 53% of the cost. It's just like an insane number for me to wrap my head around. Like I keep wondering, like, am I going to get 53% of the value out of that thing? Like I have to be using it not just every day, I have to be using it all the time. <laughs> and I like but I've well, really got to be leaning into it heavily and I don't know. That's the part that I'm really having trouble like rationalizing. Like I keep putting on like my finance hat and like okay great, I've got to go explain to my leadership like why this is valuable, why we should get it. Like here's all like the whiz bang things. And sometimes like they make it easy, right? Like I I can make a huge argument for backup kind of regardless of the cost because it's an important thing. Are co-pilots important? I don't know. And then, like, is the value there? Like, TBD. I really got to see it. And it's got to be one of those, like, just magical experiences. Like, it's got to be way better than, like, demoware, vapoware, or, like, whatever we've seen so far. Like, if, if that's the experience that Microsoft wants us to have, like, that better be the experience and then some. And then maybe it's worth it. I think that's going to be the big selling point. Because... To your point, playing a little bit of, I guess maybe the devil's advocate here is Microsoft 365, E3, E5. It is a lot compared to those for what you get. Like you said, I mean, E5, you're getting Power BI, you get audio conferencing, you get SharePoint, Exchange, Teams, you get all the security features, you get all the extra logging. There's a lot of stuff in an E5. And for this to be an additional 30 on top of it, do you get that? Now, I also get what I think. This is the way I think Microsoft is going to try to sell it. And looking at some of the demos, like you go into a Word document and they do it in a loop component. And they say, draft a proposal for this company based on this template. And it goes in and fills out that entire document, that entire draft proposal. Puts in company information based on meeting notes, puts stuff in the right place in the template. If that actually works, I mean, maybe $360 a year at 30 bucks a month. I mean, let's say you're paying someone. The hard part is this is going to affect admins. Let's say I'm paying an admin 15 bucks an hour. Maybe they're a really good admin and I'm paying them 30 bucks an hour and they're drafting 20 proposals a month for me. And now they can draft 60 proposals or 80 proposals and save themselves five or six days worth of time. I think that's the angle you take, but it still feels very expensive compared to what you're paying now for your licensing. And I don't know how easy that is necessarily to rationalize. Okay, they're saving that much time, but are they actually getting more stuff done? Like, what is that? extra time now being filled with? Is it actually being filled with productive stuff or... I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm still with you. It feels like a lot for what you're going to get. You have to... like These are still large language models. Like They're not magic. They're not going to be perfect out of the box. It's 
computer science and it feels magical, but it's not. Like you still got to go do your research. You got to finish things up. Like, would I right. love it if I could have like Copilot write all my like PRDs for me, like like my, my my product requirement documents? Like, absolutely. But the reality is, like, I'm still gonna have to go check all that stuff. I'm gonna have to rewrite it anyway and put it in my voice so it doesn't seem like an AI came out of it. So I like. Sometimes it? like it's just like I should just go do it myself. <laughs> It'd be easier. That's like that that's okay. So yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see. I really want to get hands on with it to, to, to figure it yep. out. Like I need to have that just like mind blown moment for hey, this is how it works and it all comes together. And because it has crawled and has access to and predefined meta meta prompts around all of the data in my tenancy, like that's great, right? Like all security trimmed, all those things. Like we'll see what it can do, and maybe that's where the magic of some things, like even like like Bing Chat, like GPT four with plugins and things like that. Like you and I have both been playing around with like OpenAI and just token usage and like pay as you go and things like that. Like it's okay. It has a tendency to hallucinate and give it disinformation a whole bunch, and and that's just because of the corpus of data that it's built on top of, which I I, I get. So we'll see how it goes when it can. Respond back with your data, right? Like, does it bring you like yeah. that true tribal knowledge of like, hey, here's the culture of your business, and here's the process and how things are documented, and we can kind of give that back to you in a consistent way. Like, if if that's what happens, I'm all in, right? Like, I, like, is it going to have the data though to learn? Like, I look at my tenant. Do I truly have enough data in my tenant? Going back on the other side, but I can argue both sides of this pretty effectively, Scott. Is it going to have enough data in my tenant to actually learn anything from my tenant? Because large language models relies on quantities of data to actually understand it. And I guess I've even looked at it from the podcast. Like you said, we've been playing with some of the API stuff, the tokens, and doing that. I actually take a transcript of our podcast and I take the whole audio from the whole 30, 45 minutes, whatever, feed it into GPT 3.5 Turbo 16K because I need that much space to fit that much text in. <laughs> I haven't tried it with GPT 4 yet because I can't get, I don't have access to GPT 4 anywhere, either in OpenAI or in. Azure, and I like ask it to summarize our entire transcript. And to your point, I look at it and I'm like, eh, it's okay, but I absolutely have to go fix stuff. There was one of ours I did recently, and I was like, uh, that's just flat out wrong. Like, I know where it pulled the different bits of information from in the context of the podcast, but the way it summarized the bits of information it pulled together was just wrong. And everything we talk about on the podcast is out there on the internet. I don't know what they use to train it, but all the Microsoft services, all of that, you would think it would be able to understand the podcast a lot better in the topics we covered and not hallucinate about the flow of our conversation or the summary of those topics. Then I go back to thinking about, well, my tenant, I have very minimal information in it compared to what they've trained these with already. Is it going to be that 
intelligent or will it be able to take what it's learned from other data and kind of mash it all together? But then how accurate is it? it'll be? <laughs> like you said, I really need to see it. It's tough. I think you, you need to like take a step back and kind of disambiguate like the models themselves and then the capabilities of the systems that like actually tie it all together. So Microsoft 365 Copilot will not be trained on your data. Like they're they're already trained models, like they're out there, they're ready to go. What it does is by having access to your data, you're able to give the prompts context. So just like you're doing generating the transcription for the podcast and then putting it in, like the AI model, like GPT-3.5 in that case that you've used, uh-huh. like it doesn't know your podcast from like a fart in the wind. Like it just doesn't, right? Like, the, but it has context, and you've provided it the context, and then it has all of the training that it had on whatever corpus it was built on. So it kind of mashes those things, two things together, and spits it out the other side. So that's what I'm saying. Like these things need to be. Freaking magical, right? <laughs> like, like when, like when they come out to get it, because if all of a sudden you crank it out and you turn it on and you go like, oh wow, this thing is just a bunch of gibberish or disinformation because your business maybe doesn't have the right context in it, right? Like you, like the context of say, like the way your documents are written maybe doesn't mash with you know that large language model. Which is really what's happening. Like when you're pumping in that transcript and you're saying summarize this for me, it's taking a look and it's saying like, okay, great, you gave me some context, but it turns out I really don't know much about any of this stuff. So here you go. Here's a response back, and then you know Here's you might the best I yeah, can do. And you might give an additional prompt and feed it through more and more and more. Like so, we'll have to see. Like there's a whole bunch. Like I've, I've been trying to kind of play around and take some courses on the side on just prompt engineering. To kind of figure some of that stuff out. And it's really interesting. Like, the more time you spend with some of the large language models, like, you know, I really want to go play with like Llama 2 1 now, just announced with Meta and Microsoft as well, just to kind of see like where it sits and, and where it compares. But like, you, you run into this pretty consistent, like, formulaic thing, right? Of like, okay, great. I need to provide a prompt. So the very first thing we need to do is set some context. We Additionally, need to set some tone. We also need to give some guidance around like desired outputs, right? Like, what are my desired outcomes here? And once you've started going down that path, like some of these like prompt, you know, mazes that you start going down, they get pretty complex and pretty involved. And if Microsoft has kind of solved some of that for the everyday person, like I'd be happy not to have to do those things every single time. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of over having to type in like, hey, use this tone, pretend you're, you know, blah, 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 with this many years of right. experience, you know, give your answer in this particular framework or this particular format. Like if I didn't have to do that every time, like yeah, that'd be awesome. Like that might actually save nice. save save me a bunch of time. Back to like, hey, is it worth the money? Like maybe. So the magic sauce is going to have to be in the meta prompts, the ability to kind of pull that information in and provide enough context to the backend engine, and then spit it out to us as users on the other side. Which 
I'm all about. Like I said, like I've seen you know from some of the that demos <laughs> things like, hey, just add a loop component and go ahead and and like you said, like draft a response to this RFP based on our meeting notes from yesterday, and you just pointed over to the OneNote where you went and you talked about that RFP and wrote down all your notes with your sales team and your product team and you know and delivery and everybody who needed to be involved in that process. Like if it can do that, great. <laughs> right. Uh, but, but do we'll all see. my meeting notes have to be in the right format? And like, I know my meeting notes sometimes, I have to go back and retype them for me to even understand them, let alone for AI to understand what I talked about. <laughs> but again, maybe if I go back and retype them, clean them up a little bit, and then I can generate the RFP based on some cleaned up meeting notes. I don't know. Uh, but you know, there, there's always I think a chance. That's the, initial, that's the initial feedback is your initial point. Like, at 30 bucks a month, that's almost the same price as a Microsoft 365 E3. It's there's nothing that even comes close to being that much of an increase on top of your bill that they've introduced. It just feels like a lot of money, especially if you're a big company that has 10,000 employees and all of a sudden now you're looking at spending $300,000 to <laughs> <laughs> Add AI to your tenant. Uh, yeah, a month. We'll, Sorry, three hundred thousand dollars a month. We'll see where it falls million. out. I think it's really going to be worth it for some people. I think some people are going to hop on the train <laughs> and and potentially be disappointed early on, just in some of the capabilities or lack thereof. I do worry that you kind of <laughs> like you burn customer credit there because <laughs> you're going to want them to come back and and you know for the most part like once you're into a lot of these SaaS products like it's not just Microsoft stuff like there's other sassy things that I pay for as well and like I'm very happy to do it because they bring me a bunch of value but if that derived value isn't there up front and like they lose you like I don't know when do you come back like what do they do it's to win hard. you back over it's it's super hard right. once you've turned out that so, way so we'll it's see. the whole trust thing it's a whole lot easier to lose trust than it is to gain it back. And I think that's some of this is once you lose trust in that co-pilot, can you get it back? <laughs> and hopefully it'll be good enough that no one will. And I will absolutely be one of those that signs up for it as soon as I can get it and I'll test it out. But with that, Scott, I don't have a co-pilot telling me I have a meeting, but I have calendar announcements and appointments and alerts <laughs> bleeping in my ear and telling me that I need to go to a meeting. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, it's one of those things that happens, huh? Yes. Now, if I could, here's an out co-pilot. If I could send a co-pilot to the meeting and have the meeting for me and use <laughs> my voice and use prompts from my other meetings to conduct the meeting for me and then deliver the notes to me, that might be worth paying for. Yeah, there you go. I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that we'll one see. Uh, see how that one pans out robot, for you. Meeting robot Ben instead of the Gilfoyle bot. <laughs> uh, there you go. Gilfoyle oh man! Go. All right. With that, Scott, I will let you go get back to catching up on email, and I'm going to go attend a meeting. All right. Well, thanks, Ben. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Scott. Yep. We'll talk to you later this week. Yep. (laughs) Bye-bye. If you enjoyed the podcast, go leave us a five-star rating in iTunes. It helps to get the word out so more IT pros can learn about Office 365 and Azure. If you have any questions you want us to address on the show or feedback about the show, feel free to reach out via our website, Twitter, or Facebook. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.